I'm Dick Moberg, and for more than 40 years, I've been developing technology to advance our understanding of the injured brain. I've had a chance to work with some of the leading minds in the field of neuromonitoring, including physicians, researchers, and entrepreneurs. I want to share their stories with you in the form of a weekly podcast so you can stay current on the latest developments in the field and the innovative people behind them. This is my neural network. A quick note before we get started. I caught up with Dr. Hempel at the ICP 2019 meeting in Leuven, Belgium, during one of the coffee breaks. There's a bit more background noise than we anticipated. Dr. Hempel had some great things to say, so we decided to publish it anyway. We appreciate your patience and hope you enjoy the episode. This is Dick Moberg, and my guest today is Dr. Claude Hempel, who is a professor of neurology at UCSF and the uh, division director at Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. So, Claude, thanks for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me, Dick. And today's topic is on um, uh, the trials and tribulations of setting, a, setting up a multimodal monitoring program, which uh, Claude has gone through. Uh, but first, I wanted to uh, let everybody know that uh, Claude is one of the founders of the Neurocritical Care Society. So uh, way back, I remember I was at the first meeting, but he was actually at the uh, founding meeting. So how did that happen? Well, we were, a number of us were at the American Academy of Neurology Emergency Neurology and Critical Care Section Meeting. And we were very interested in seeing if the American Academy of Neurology would support what we were doing because we thought that was a great home for the potential new growing field of neurocritical care. And they didn't. They didn't want to provide any money. We were told that the president of the AAN at the time felt like it really wasn't an area that had any legs and wasn't something that, that made much sense. And we were really unhappy. So we went out for drinks and a steak dinner, and we pledged to create a neurocritical care-type society. And we wrote our pledge on a napkin, and Bill Copeland put it away somewhere. And two years later, he pulled it out and said, remember, we pledged to do this. And sort of the rest is history. And it's a great history. I mean, that society has just taken off. And uh, I remember being at the first sort of formation meeting. That was in Phoenix, I think, uh, right after that, uh, being on over since. But uh, that's a great story and a great, great start to a, a great society. So um, you, just, uh, you just sort of went through an um, interesting process of getting multimodal monitoring um, uh, established at San Francisco General. And what were your experiences? I guess, what were your, first, what were your expectations with that? And I know you're, a, you're quite a data pioneer in uh, neurocritical care. Some of the first papers published on that, I think, came from you. And uh, so what were your expectations? Well, I think there really are two parts to it. One is uh, multimodal monitoring itself. And we've actually been doing multimodal monitoring for a very, very long time. My my colleague, friend, and partner, Jeff Manley, and I, I believe we're the second folks in the United States to do brain tissue oxygen monitoring. We actually got an IDE waiver uh, to do it in a research context. Around uh, 2000, or maybe a little bit before that, we, we got advice from Claudia Robertson, who was the first to do that. 
And since then, we've integrated that clinically into our care, as well as jugular venous saturation monitoring, uh, um, microdialysis for a time, um, uh, cerebral blood flow monitoring, EEG, and so forth. So we've had multiple modalities, but the big deal has been integrating the data and really having a platform that is clinician-facing so that we could have uh, not just us, but our bedside nurses and our other neurocritical care and neurosurgical physicians and our intensivist colleagues see the data and use the data. And uh, that's really what we've been doing in our new Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, where we were fortunate through a philanthropic investment and, uh, and sort of uh, interest in sweat equity to, to have Moberg units placed in all of our neurocritical care beds. And um, it's really been an interesting process because I think um, uh, creating a distributed system that allows us to uh, be able to look at the data both uh, at the individual bedside and then remotely, um, uh, it's not a trivial task. And I think that uh, we've had to get a lot of buy-in, which has ultimately been very fruitful from our IT folks. And we've had an IT champion. His name's Greg Wolfer. I'm going to just say right out that Greg is fantastic. And he, um, he's really been the lead from the IT side. And uh, we've also had uh, been able to have a, a system manager who is a, a nurse um, uh, uh, educator named Lawrence Chial. And Lawrence really serves as our system manager. And honestly, those two positions... Uh, and those aren't full-time positions at all, but they're part of their overall work and responsibility, have really been key in helping us out with that. And now, um, you know, uh, Dick and I are here at the ICP 2019 meeting, and while he was presenting on his system, I was looking up a patient uh, on my laptop. Um, uh, the meeting's in Leuven, Belgium, not in San Francisco. So, uh, so that's, you know, that's great, and so I think it's going well now. Uh, that's great, and and we've enjoyed working with you. And I think uh, I I can't emphasize uh, more about the uh, the team you need to get in place ahead of time. We've had uh, successes, and we've had challenges at institutions uh, that didn't have somebody like Greg or uh, or Lawrence there. And why don't you talk a little about um, just the nurses' adoption? I know that in most places it it comes as a sort of a new thing for them, and sometimes they can present some challenges, but you, you seem to have um, navigated that uh, fairly well. How did that go? Well, um, there are some systems that gather the data and port it out to a, um, uh, to a data archive where uh, clinician researchers uh, who are doing research or quality assurance can then access the data, but clinicians at the bedside don't see it. Therefore, it's invisible to them, and they may not even know it's being gathered. We had such a system up at the UCSF Medical Center. Folks didn't even realize they had it. We consciously chose to implement a, a informatic system that was clinician-facing because we thought it was important if we were going to use the information for patient care uh, that everybody needed to use the patient information for patient care. But... Um, it's very, very key that uh, you use the information because if you have the monitors there and uh, uh, the last thing you want is for um, nurses or other physicians to say, well, I don't even know what that thing is. Uh, well, it doesn't get turned on all the time. And that's a, that's a big problem. 
So um, certainly our system administrators helped with that. But one of the things that we do routinely on our rounds is uh, we educate. And being in an academic institution, we're teaching our interns and residents and students and our nurses. So it's commonplace for us to go to the patient to show everybody a salient clinical exam feature, to bring up a head imaging study of a CT or MRI, and make sure that the bedside nurse sees that subdural hematoma or that intracerebral hemorrhage and knows what they're looking at. And so it was pretty natural to start to do that with the uh, advanced informatics information where we could go back and say, oh, let's, uh, you told me that the ICP was elevated at 2 o'clock in the morning. Let's go back and look at the trends and see what happened. And then right in front of our eyes, we say, well, look at that uh, right before the uh, ICP went up, blood pressure went down. That's probably a sign of a patient that is autoregulating but had vasodilatation due to hypotension. And it's just visually apparent to folks. And uh, we do that routinely at the bedside so that our nurses now start to use that on their own. They get used to it, and it's, it's something that's accessible to them and doesn't seem mysterious or, uh, or, or difficult to use. Yeah, and I was uh, amazed that um, we did a webinar, you know, with Deb and, and uh, Lawrence, and uh, it was on something that I, I didn't even realize uh, you could use this monitor for. It was on um, managing blood pressure for spinal cord injury patients, and, and you know, that was, a, that was a real eye-opener for me. And, and you guys are really pushing the envelope and, uh, in the use of the product, so it's, it's amazing. I don't know if you have any comments on that. Well, I think... Um uh, I think it's about access to information. And as I said, I you know, looked, up, looked up one of my patients uh, here to see how they're doing. So uh, uh, being able to have access to the information, utilize it, and feel like it's not, not scary to go up to the monitor and press the buttons and, and take a look. Because uh, the questions about uh, uh, overnight trends or relationship between different parameters, uh, uh, they've been there all along. And I think all of us have that everywhere we are, but we're so used to not having access to the information that folks kind of have to get used to having access to the information and then using it on a regular basis. And we found the um, more, our, um, more our bedside nurses and, and other clinicians use it, I say play with it, but they're not really playing with it. They're just, they're actively looking at the data. Uh, then the more they do it. The more they do it, the more they are comfortable doing it, and the more they find value in it. Yeah, I think, and, uh, and Lawrence has just suggested using this to uh, look at shivering and uh, monitor that, you know, and see if they could uh, get some metrics so that they could they can monitor that while they're doing cooling. And so um, we're excited about working with your group uh, now and in the future, and I think we'll see a lot more things uh, come out of it. What, any uh, comments on where you want to take this program or well, I think that uh, one of the things that you and I have spoken about, and this has really um, come from our bedside nurses, is they're very interested in uh, how to look at the data in a user-friendly way. And um, when we look at uh, the data on CNS Monitor or CNS Reader, uh, you know, we as clinicians um, are looking at it in a certain, uh, certain user interface that... Um, can be intuitive, but sometimes uh, sometimes it's not. Going to the end user and say, how would you like to look at this information? So the concept of 
uh, pie charts or histograms or heat maps or things like that that might be simple shortcuts where bedside nurses can utilize that information in a way that makes sense to them rather than us telling them how they should be looking at it, I think is, uh, is really important. And once again, that, that helps uh, them engage with the, with the product. So I may be interested in looking at this uh, for um, uh, dynamic Bayesian network uh, predictive models. The bedside nurse may be interested in looking at it for uh, uh, what was the fever burden for the last uh, 24 hours or how often during her shift uh, was the uh, ICP elevated above our threshold that we chose, perhaps uh, 20 millimeters of mercury. So the data is all there, and the visualization is going to be a great opportunity in the future. Yeah, and we look forward to working with you. And uh, UCSF also has probably one of the uh, top nursing schools in the country, and uh, maybe we can get this worked into their program. I think that would be an interesting thing, too. So, um, well, thank you very much for uh, joining this podcast, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to working with you more. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Claude. So thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you enjoy these interviews, please take a moment to rate and review this show on your podcast app of choice. Subscribe to Dick Moberg's Neural Network to receive notifications when future installments are available. And of course, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Moberg Research, Inc. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again soon.